I tell you, my view, this is the most exciting time to be an engineer that we've seen in decades or generations. There are so many new problems that no one has ever thought about before. You know, we're building up some knowledge now, but there's new problems and there's new toys. There's new technologies that didn't exist before. So right now is such an exciting time to be an engineer. It can't think of a better age or era to be in it. So many new things that need new approaches. And, and there's so much blue sky out there. Three, two, one. Hello everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Engineering Buzzcast. My name is Jacob Primus and I'm joined here today with my good mate and co-host Daniel Hardy. This episode comes directly to you from the Hatch Office here in Queensland's sunny capital, Brisbane, Australia. There, we spoke to Jan Quack, who just happens to be the Managing Director for Hatch in both the Australia and Asia region. So you may or may not have heard of the Cross River Rail Project, or how about the Sydney Aerotropolis, or even the 30 plus billion dollar project that is the Sun Cable Project. These are only just some of the projects that Jan and his team at Hatch have been contributing towards in the past few years. Originally from Canada, where he completed his Bachelor of Chemical Engineering, Jan has paved a 25-year career from his time at Hatch, specialising a sought-after career in mining, energy and digital infrastructure. This episode is jam-packed with buzzing engineering topics such as the decarbonisation of mining, carbon capture strategies, mining tailings, sustainable cities, green hydrogen, green steel and macro-energy storage strategies, all of which are prominent areas in the future of this engineering industry. This episode is absolutely perfect for anybody looking for a career in either of those topics or just engineering as a whole. So sit back, grab your hard hat and prepare as we descend into the knowledgeable depths of Jan's mind and learn about what it takes to work in one of the most innovative but yet challenging fields of work. Jan, a very warm welcome to the Engineering Buzzcast. Thanks for inviting us over here to the Hatch office in Brisbane today. Really appreciate it. Right on. Great to be with you guys. So Jan, jumping straight into things, um, do you mind giving us a quick little rundown of the work you do on a weekly basis as the Managing Director uh, for Australia and Asia for Hatch? And at the moment, what are some of the noticeable projects that you or yourself might be working on? Yeah, great starting point. So that's, that's why we all study engineering, right? It's because of the, <laughs> yeah. pro- the projects we get to do first. The, uh, you know, all of us, every job has some amount of latrine duty, but the really fun stuff, the best parts of my day are the days I get to do technical things. So thanks for starting with uh, with projects. Look, the at Hatch, we cover three big sectors. Uh, mining and metals is one, um, infrastructure is one, and energy is one. And there are so many interesting things happening in, in all three. Um, just to give you a bit of a simple high-level rundown, in, in mining, it's, it's all about things like electronic materials, first of all. The, the world really needs to move to renewables, needs to move mm-hmm. to electrification, and we need a heck of a lot of copper and nickel and lithium and cobalt to do that, mm. vanadium, rare earths, all those things. And there is um, a large number of projects uh, under development or under construction now uh, to provide those materials. So we've got uh, six, seven projects going uh, in that space. There, there's a lot of work happening for us in decarbonization of mining. So, it that's a huge push. You know, it, it, again, we need we need these these metals and materials in order to modernize society, decarbonize society. You need that copper. How do you 
but we can't keep mining the way we always have. Mm. We need a new yeah. way to do it. Yeah. So there is a lot of work on how do you decarbonize uh, the mining sector um, and how do you do things without fossil fuels, uh, mm-hmm. everything from the trucks to the, the processing. Then there's there's also things like greenifying, even even the, the call them the legacy industries, things like coal. Um, there's coal, sea methane, and there's vent methane that needs to be dealt with. For the couple of cases where we still use coal in the modern economy, when we use it as a chemical, right? Right. So we should stop probably using coal as energy, but coal as a chemical where that carbon with four radicals is valuable. Things such as like steel and stuff like that, I guess. Steel or other things. There's still some methane that comes out. You need ways to capture that methane and put that to a use and... Hopefully that carbon ends up in a solid form and not in a gas form. Mm. Yeah, so right. there's there's a fair amount of work to do there. Um, there's interesting work in tailings and closure. We're doing well, maybe later on we'll talk about it, but some really exciting civil mm, yeah. earthworks. Oh, awesome! Um, that just mind blowing stuff uh, <laughs> is interesting. And and then there's a couple of nickel smelters, copper smelters we're working on, which is when you you basically you melt rocks. Uh, and get the get the metals out, mm. uh, which is still one of the best ways to recover metal. Huh. Um, infrastructure, really interesting stuff. Um, we do a lot of tunneling work. We're working on the Melbourne Metro and the Sydney Metro and the on the Brisbane Cross River Rail. That's cool. Oh, yeah. um, wow. All of those things, um, really cool stuff. At the other end of the spectrum, we're work- one of the interesting ones is we're working on the Sydney Aerotropolis. So our <laughs> town planning group or our urban planning group is doing a layout for the whole new the second city center for Sydney. To Sounds be like something out of a comic book. Oh, yeah. That's what it's called. When you build a new city beside an airport. So yeah. there's wow. going to be a second downtown Sydney out, out by the new uh, the new airport. <laughs> there you are. And then in energy, you know, one of, the, one of the really big signature projects you may have come across already is this Sun Cable project. Yeah. Mm. That is so interesting. That That is a plan to produce... I think it's to the order of 16, 17 gigawatts of solar power in the Northwest Territories and then send it by by high voltage DC cable through Darwin, through Indonesia, all the way to Singapore. All and, right. Uh, Big job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big tunnel. Produce, wow. it'll, it'll be 15% of Singapore's power wow. uh, as renewables. Uh, which is a big deal, right? Yeah, Singapore, that's, that's Singapore has no way to get renewables. Mm. They don't have a lot of wind. They don't have a lot of sun. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so they're they, yeah, they're importing renewables from Australia. Fascinating job. Yeah, crazy. I mean, that's just the future of everything. It's the way it's going to go, right? So, yeah. I mean, and why not get it ready now? I tell you, when we yeah. first looked at it, we were unsure of the business case, but we've been through it now, and it, it kind of makes sense. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. To, to do that, it, it's in the papers. That's a $30, $40 billion job. It's big. Yeah. Whoa. And, um, you know, it's it's 4,000 kilometers, that cable. But, in fact, it's 4,000 times three. Because you don't just yeah. send a single wire. You need a, a return on the back. back. <laughs> yeah, poles. true. Far so out. it's 12,000 kilometers of cable. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of cable. <laughs> we don't insane. have that much cable in the world, it turns out. We have to build yeah. a cable manufacturing facility just to make the cable <laughs> for that project. You build a cable to space for that. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Wow. Yeah, wow. And do you have to – a lot of that's going underground too, eh? Under, under sea. Yeah. yeah. On land, it'll be on land, but under, oh, yeah, okay, under yeah. sea. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing technology. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the, so at the surface, as I described, it's an interesting one. But then as you go down levels, there's so many problems and or <laughs> not problem, challenges. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, now 25 million solar panels. Wow. 25 million. That's <laughs> a lot of panels. How, how big is just one solar panel? Well, like, like on your house, maybe the size of the table in front of us. Wow. wow. Squared, right? 25 million of those. 25 million of those. 
<laughs> it's it's kind of like painting the Sydney Harbour yeah. Bridge. When you install the last one, the first one's already needs to be replaced. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, that's yeah. That's amazing. Incredible. Well, it sounds like you're covering a lot of aspects <laughs> yeah. in your role at the moment, Jan. Um, I mean, having to manage all that mm. and direct all that at the same time must be a big job. Um, so just quickly, could you just run us through what is the day in your life uh, as your role as a managing director at Hatch look mm-hmm. like? Um, and what aspects of fields of engineering does this incorporate? You talked about some of the industries and mm, sectors yeah, that this might yeah. incorporate, but for engineers especially. Yeah. All right. So, um, look, that's, that's a, I'll just start with the with the, the kind of the hygienic parts of it. This is imp- and this is super important, right? Mm. Sa- I, I think on many of the guests you've had have talked about similar safety is the beginning and end of everything. Um, yeah. In our business, as goes safety, as goes the project, as goes the business. Uh, so you need to manage that well. And, and for us, because we do, we do studies and we build stuff and we operate stuff, you have to start with a safety culture in the office right down to everybody in this building mm. has to breathe safety because the culture that we have in this office is the culture that we will share with the construction companies and with the vendors and with all mm. the other people that we bring into projects. And mm. eventually, because we're, help, we're helping hire the people that will operate these facilities, uh, you know, the culture that they experience when they first join a project is the culture they'll bring forward. So it is so important that we have a, a super strong, mindful safety culture um, mm-hmm. right here in the office. So that, that requires talking about it and being visible about safety. And Starts at the root, really. Yeah, bringing safety. Yeah. We call it visible felt leadership. That's a big deal. Um, another big part of my job is kind of pushing, pushing the culture, pushing positive change. Right, we're we're all we're all engineers that just love to do stuff, and at, at its heart, many of us, myself included, well, what I want to create is positive change. I want to feel like I'm doing engineering to make the world better. Mm, yeah. And and how do you how do you get a whole organization of people and all the people we work with and the contractors rallied around that? How do you kind of create positive change? How do we make things better in the world? Mm. That's the driver for it, right? Yeah. And then with, when it comes to projects, I spend a lot of time. Uh, with 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 our clients, so we we're an engineering services company. Mm. We design stuff. We think of creative new ways to do things. It's a really big deal for us to understand exactly what it is the government's trying to achieve, or a mining company's trying to achieve, or an energy company. What is really their business case, and then how can we innovate our way through? You know, mind blowing outputs <laughs> that have never been done <laughs> yeah. before. We we yeah. just we engineers are like that. We thrive on doing things that have never been done before. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or even if it has been done before, do it better than last time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it really so is that drive. Problem yeah. solving. That's that's what that's so. what we love to do. Yeah. So um so yeah, I, I spend my time challenging people. How do you do that? Yeah. Mm. How do you push boundaries? Yeah. And and maybe lastly, like the best days for me are still the days I get to do technical stuff. Yeah. yeah. The day I get to, pot, to, to to crawl in and, and pile on to look at calculations or diagrams. Chuck the hard hat on. Yeah. Chuck the hard hat on. Those are always <laughs> the best days. And, so, you know, sometimes it happens once in a while you see stuff you've never seen before. Mm. Yeah. And that's fantastic. That's the best part. That's yeah. the best part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just something that makes you think about something in a completely new way. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the best days. Yeah, certainly <laughs> yeah, are. Definitely. Well, as this is called the engineering buzzcast, uh, what are some things buzzing in your line, like your industry at the moment? There can be things there in mining, infrastructure, energy, you know, new opportunities, breakthroughs. Yeah, there's all kinds of really cool stuff happening. The it is so I tell you, it is so much fun to be in an engineering company doing all this stuff. The um, a couple of things that might be fun to share. 
Um, you read about it in the papers. Hydrogen is interesting, hmm. but it's not as simple as the newspapers lead you to believe. It's it's really still a little bit unclear of how hydrogen will be used, who will be using it, how will we make it. The the idea of just you know get some renewable power, run it through an electrolyzer, and then you get your hydrogen. It's, it's <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> the next level down. It's yeah. a little bit yeah. trickier than that. It's yeah. number one that doesn't scale very well. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, if, like for example, we did a study in a paper exercise. If we wanted to convert all of the iron ore mining machinery in the Pilbara to hydrogen, stop burning diesel, burn hydrogen. How much would you need? Turns out that's a fair amount. <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of hydrogen yeah. t- you would need, I think, I'll get of the order of ten billion dollars worth of electrolyzers. Wow. Yeah, you'd fill football fields and football wow. fields with electrolyzers. Wow. It's, yeah. it's not that easy. Yeah. You, you mm. can't scale that uh, very well. Um, and, and you also start to realize, well, okay, do I make my hydrogen in a centralized facility or do I distribute mm. it? Mm. And, um, sort and of build like plants, I and, guess. But little ones. Yeah. Build them right at the end point. Maybe you, build, maybe you do the electrolyzing right at the gas station or mm. petrol mm. station. Um, because if you build it in a central place and, and you can get economies of scale, mm. then you have to pipe it all over the place. Yeah. And how do you? It's hard to imagine pipelines full of hydrogen, which is which is a tricky gas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> LNG is one thing, but hydrogen yeah. is tricky. Yeah, yeah, especially in countries, I guess, where there's lots of natural disasters like that, there's yeah, that, earthquakes and things like the, that. The, the, yeah, yeah, let alone the, the straight metallurgical problems. Yeah, you, yeah. And mechanicals, right? The, yeah. the you get hydrogen embrittlement that it just changes the mechanical properties of your mm. of your of your pipes and mm. valves. So. Mm, it's interesting. It's, it's not easy. And then how do you use it? And, you know, if I have electricity, why would I turn it into hydrogen just to turn it back into electricity? Yeah, yeah exactly. There's another balance there of yeah. all these losses along the mm. way. Yeah, the efficiency um, of it all, I guess. Yeah. Like, is it really that efficient? Yeah. And like, yeah. So, so there's lots yeah. of work. But my point yeah. is there's lots of work in hydrogen to figure out what is actually the right business case and the right business configuration to use it. Uh, another really kind of adjacent to that really buzzy one is green steel. That right. is big. Green steel, yeah. green concrete. But uh, green steel is trying to make steel without a blast furnace, right? So yeah, today right. you put, you, you have these big blast furnaces that you, you load them up with iron ore and coal and you light them on fire. And after a while you get iron dripping out the bottom. Mm. Um, that's pretty simplistic ver- uh, way to explain it. But yeah. um, of course the world wants green steel. We don't want to have to burn coal anymore to make mm. that. Yeah. So we know that you can reduce iron ore with hydrogen or with maybe some other things. Yeah, right. um, how do you do that? Steel is huge. Steel mm. is a big, big industry. Yeah. You know, most of the, and, and it's a lot to convert. We're, we're just now starting studies with the major iron ore producers and the major steel producers of having a really good swing at how do you do that. And, mm. and that's vital for the Australian economy. Um, we're big iron ore producers, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Australia and Brazil are the two big ones. And iron, our iron ore, we need to think about the, the scope three emissions from that iron ore. So we need to figure out what's the right path to use our Pilbara ores to convert them in a sustainable way without CO2 emissions into iron ore or iron and then steel and i guess it's looking mm. at the importance of the efficiency of it all as well because it's, yeah. it's only a finite resource yeah. eventually yeah. going to run out at some point so like we need to make it as efficient as possible yeah as well. that's right because like, yeah. things that might make yeah. sense in the laboratory it's a different thing when you scale it up into a yeah. massive operation it doesn't always mm. work yeah true. Always work. the chemistry might work yeah. but the economics might yeah not. The vibe is yeah um, other really important ones tailings tailings enclosure is a big deal big deal yep 
Here in Queensland, we have 1,400 abandoned mines that are just under care maintenance. There's as many more in the rest of the country. Are they sort of recent mines, or are they dating Uh, back to, uh, say, the Gold Rush era? We're dating dating way back. And and there's more. We have a a big issue where we got ERA, Ranger. We have Gove um, here uh, and more. And there's really this whole community building up now of what are some smart engineering solutions of how to properly close a mine not necessarily return it to nature, but prepare the ground so it can be valuable to the next user. Mm. Yeah, right. And it's interesting. Mines typically have around them infrastructure, roads, power, water. They typically have people living nearby. They have, they have a small industry nearby. So if with that configuration of land and those industries, what else can you do? Can you do mm, a power yeah. plant? Can you do manufacturing can you do something else it's such an interesting topic i guess because it's the exact same problem that's existed since the beginning of mining i guess you've Uh created this environment of Mm. activity that you've just described so how do you develop something that i guess not only replaces that missing link but also balances them efficiently yeah so that that's the closure and then the tailings themselves you know you guys know it we've had all kinds of problems with tailings dams in the last decades years forever Mm. actually we can't do that anymore. So, um, just for those people listening at home, how would you define a tailing? So, what, oh, ta- what's involved in, is, in that structure? Well, simple example, right? When we when we mine copper, we typically mine copper at one percent. Right. That, that that dirt we dig up is one percent copper. Ninety nine percent of it is not copper. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow! So when you see like a four hundred ton truck drive by, it's got yeah. four tons of copper <laughs> and three hundred ninety six tons of dirt. That dirt is tailings. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. lot, And it's wet and it's subject to landslide. It's sometimes toxic. It's depending on, you know, a lot of things. Yeah. And it's interesting. The tailings challenge, we keep giving it to tailings engineers, which are lovely (laughs) people, but they're the repair people. The problem is starting in the mine. Yeah. Mm. So how do you not make tailings in the first place? Yeah. It's the real grand challenge. How can you rethink how we do mining and how we do refining so that we don't generate tailings at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then we get rid of our problem. Um, then some other topics that are kind of cool, uh, grid stability, that's been in the news off and on for mm-hmm. a while. The the number of HVDC, so high voltage direct current connectors we need to kind of stabilize the grid mm-hmm. um, is, is really, really important. We've got a whole group down in Sydney that just thinks about that. How do you stabilize the grid? Sustainable cities are interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm really excited. Now, so we, smart cities is one thing. So that's the Google cities and all that. That's mm, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's also a bit scary because of what we know happens when yeah. digital recognition goes too far and yeah. attracting people. But yeah. there's another industrial part of cities that is quite fascinating. You know, if you think of a city as, as arteries and veins, cities bring all this stuff in, right? Fuel and food mm. and materials mm. and people. construction stuff and people and yeah. sand and whatever. And then leaving the city, you got heat, you got uh, sewage, you got garbage, you got recycling, you got, I don't know what else leaves. Mm. Now, if we really want to have a sustainable, renewable economy or a circular economy, you got to figure out how to cut down those, those recirculations into smaller things. So how do, you, yeah, right. how do you industrialize on a city scale in a, in a way that people wouldn't mind it being incorporated into their cityscape, you know, a waste to energy plant or a recycling facility or a community garden or something like that. Mm. How do you design cities to be more engineering efficient while still being very livable? Mm. That's a whole that's a whole new area that people aren't approaching. I guess looking at it from like a mechanical engineering perspective, it's sort of similar to like a combustion engine yeah. where you're feeding it 
all these resources keeping the engine nice and cool but you've got all these exhaust fumes and rubbish just blowing out yeah. the back of it obviously like you can't stop the exhaust but i guess you can make it more efficient cleaner and stable i guess i think you could sort of apply that to the sustainable cities idea as that's well. right that's right so you know where, where we started out looking at you know what are what are walkable cities or what are sustainable or green cities now we're starting mm. to think all right how do you make 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 it into a process that that works for environmental sustainability concerns, mm. but is still highly livable? Yeah, uh, I guess that's a massive balance between politics oh, as well and commerce. I mean, yeah. that's mm. like got to be the biggest contributing factor. I mean, every engineer has those limits imposing on them because of those politics. You know, I mean, it's such yeah. a restricting factor, but also it can be either restricting or the other half of the coin you know i feel like it also advances it and pushes it a bit so it's really interesting looking yeah. at it from that perspective yeah. oh yeah fascinating yeah. and then i got one last one for you that's kind of cool um i think it's time and there's a lot of buzz around this it's time for nuclear power mm-hmm. we it's time for that discussion to open up uh, for us in australia um you know I, I think to an extent we've forgotten why we're against it in australia mm-hmm. it was something that came up in the 70s and at the time you know, the, the, the view was that we shouldn't be involved in nuclear because there's the potential for it to end up in nuclear weapons. Mm, right. Now, you know, with geopolitics today, maybe there's some something there, but, you know, technology's moved on, politics has moved on. And, and our understanding of the role of fossil fuels and stuff has changed, and where are we going to get our energy from? Yeah. Nuclear's not crazy, so I'm not necessarily an advocate, but I'm saying let's open the discussion again and mm. turn it over and... Yeah. Look at it from different angles. I think that's what you got to do in engineering anyway. You just essentially got to just keep re-looking at things over mm, and over and over right. again because it's evolving. Like every 10 years, just go back, New have a look again. Yeah, nothing's ever finished. You can't just put the book down and that's it's right. done, you know. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. we got to be data-driven and yeah. not, not politically driven Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and neutral in this stuff. So I, I think it's time to open that up and look at it again. And, and that, that's happening. Mm. Every politician I get a chance to talk to, I talk to them about that. <laughs> <laughs> what do they usually say? What's their response? They they say, oh, we're not ready for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> One day. <laughs> Too complicated for them? Or? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hot potato topic. Still. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But if we talk about it yeah. enough, then it'll, be, it'll, yeah. it'll soften. Yeah. So Stop on change. this anyway, so like recognizing that society is attempting to make these monumental shifts towards a low carbon future across all industries like you just mentioned, um, how will Australia specifically have an important role to play yeah. in all of this? Yeah, there's a couple of things. We're, we're kind of blessed with a lot of stuff. We're blessed with great minerals, and, and that's part of it. Everything we have in our modern world comes from either farming or from mining, ultimately, right? And all the things we want to have a long-term sustainable society, we want, we got to be electrified. We have to have all these communications technologies to do that. We need these minerals. So Australia will be a big part of providing the, those base metals and minerals that we need to make all of the electronics we want to run our Mm. modern society our our role in that is figuring out how to do that in a new way in a sustainable mining way that has never been done before right not impossible can be done if you Mm. chip away at problems you you get Mm. there there's one number two is energy from renewables we have a we have a lot of renewables here um, more than we realize uh, incredible amounts of solar incredible amounts of of wind in parts of the country. Yeah, even just recently, the hydro dam being yeah. built. In yeah, Brisbane. yeah. Uh, snowy, snowy too. Yeah, yeah. And snowy as well. Yeah, uh, we don't have a hell of a lot of rain. Well, we do these yeah. days, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you're you're right. We we will we have a lot of energy that ultimately we can export. So Sun Cable is an example of that. Eventually, being able to export, um, you know, hydrogen is a part. That's probably my third one. Is that the hydrogen economy 
is bubbling up quickly here in Australia. Uh, and credit to the government, or at least the, the people behind the curtains of the government, they've done a great job of, of trying to configure how does hydrogen start to make sense for our economy. And just like today, we're the world leader in LNG export. We could one day be the world leader in and hydrogen uh, export. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not exactly clear how that'll work yet, but you know, you start somewhere and you figure it out. It's like mm. everything else. <laughs> I think yeah. once the ball starts rolling, I think that's when it can start to gain traction. Mm. It's like the yeah. snowball yeah. theory, you know, it starts rolling, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I think that's exactly what's happened with renewables and sustainability mm. in the past like 50 years. Yeah, Initially, everyone's yeah. just like is a stage of denial and a stage of, well, I wouldn't say denial, but like not recognizing yeah. the importance of it. And once that starts rolling, companies start integrating it and it gets out there. Mm. That's eventually when the politics are like, oh, this might look good for me. So I'm going to push that as well. And I think that's what needs to happen with yeah. green hydrogen yeah. almost i think that's yeah. right we just got to find the right use case yeah. so it isn't it, like like anything it's not going to be used for every single energy case but there'll be a subset of cases where hydrogen is the right fuel so let's mm. figure mm, those out yeah okay so out of these emerging shifts among the industry um which can we expect to shape the trends of the sector for mm. years to come so like what what is actually going to start this snowball rolling effectively so is there anything new that you think will will do this yeah um a couple of things come up you know this whole area i said it a couple of times in different ways already but sustainable mining is a big deal mm. the um there's going to be uh, work done on in australia that'll be big but um we, we can't keep mining the way we've always mined. We need mm. completely new thinking on, on how that happens. Uh, and, and that's a big deal. That's a game changer when, uh, when we get that far. The, when we figure that out, that'll spread all over the world. Uh, and that's, that's the way society will continue to, to advance, is by having the materials we need to, to do stuff. I don't, by the way, think that space is the best place to, to start. It's, it's, it's on the list, <laughs> but there's easier things to do before you get to space. I think so, yeah. Just work with what's on the ground first <laughs> before we get up into the air, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a space nut too. I love it. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, Realistically, it's I, yeah. I can see better business cases not yeah. in space. Pe- yeah. By the way, people also forget, right? If you bring a billion pound nickel meteorite down to Earth, what's going to happen to the price of nickel? Mm. Right? <laughs> True. Yeah, that's a- People forget about that. These asteroids yeah. they want to mine, you know, if, when you create a surplus, then the price comes down. Yeah. You can't, you can't do your billion pounds I think that was like an, a thing proposed by NASA a few years ago yeah. is there's this big gold meteorite floating past or something. And they're like, yeah. why don't we just get a big magnet and just <laughs> pull it in? Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, but that's just going to overload the yeah. economy. Yeah. And like, right. yeah it, there's so many things uh, to think about. It's right. so yeah. interesting. It's all supply yeah. and demand. So it isn't necessarily the case that you'll, you can't take the weight of the meteorite and multiply by the price of gold or nickel and get yeah. the value because mm. you, you're just doing it yeah. changes the value. Anyway, that, that's one. Next one, kind of interesting. The, the macro issue, I think, is energy storage strategy, and um, some of that, some of that is, you know, working storage into not necessarily the big battery. That's the obvious one, but working storage into processes and into cities. Like maybe thinking about your car batteries as actually a part of the grid, and they can give and take. Yeah, right. In, in industry, there's ways to store power through intermittent use that we don't think about enough. Like I, a lot of my examples are mining because there's, there's lots of fruit for innovation in <coughs> mining. But, you know, cooling mines, we spend a lot of electricity cooling mines. You can actually store electricity in an odd way by the amount you cool the mine. Right, on okay. the days you have surplus electricity, you can cool the mine a couple of degrees more. And then on the days you don't have too much electricity, the mine will naturally heat up a little bit. 
What you're actually yeah. doing is More storing electricity. On those days. <laughs> yeah, but you're, if you're, the, the workers won't notice a couple of degrees. But yeah. you're actually storing electricity in an odd way. Hmm. Ah, and there's lots of ways to, to integrate storage into the processes of, of heavy industry. If you just think about what they're doing, the, the water desalination or the the, the the levels in tanks, even or how you manage all the different forms of energy. It doesn't have to be as stored as electric energy in a battery, is my point. Um, the, the other part, it's kind of an interesting breakthrough. I've always wondered, why do does pumped hydro never seem to work as a business case? The, the, the simplistic idea is you have all this renewable power, and I'll just use that power to pump the water uphill <laughs> when the wind is blowing, and then yeah. when the wind is not blowing, I'll let the water run downhill. Turns out the problem is a mismatch of size. We just actually renewables generate more power than you need to fill your hydro dam. So you're up, the business case always ends up stuck with too much power that you can't sell. Uh, really? You don't have to do it. Wow, that's, that's an interesting. interesting. Too much power. <laughs> too much power. Too much. Yeah. That's oh, actually the problem. Oh, wow. It turns out there's always a mismatch, and the hydro dam only ever really needs to cover a couple of days hmm. uh, of, yeah, of, wow. of time. And you have way more power than you need. So it needs to be stored then. It needs to be stored. Yeah. So stored or mm. converted to something useful like hydrogen. True. So it turns out that if you make a little triangle, you make a, um, renewable power with a hydro dam and then a way to shunt the excess electricity off to something that you can get revenue from, mm. like hydrogen or something else. Yeah, yeah. Then mm. you got a business case. Suddenly your business case <laughs> goes from marginal to profitable. Yeah. Speaking of storage, like what are the... I mean, obviously, energy storage is a big issue at the moment. What are the some of the best ways or new, like, upcoming ways that we'll be able to store energy in a more efficient manner? Yeah, yeah, good question. There's, you know, <laughs> storage for what is, is what's important. Um, the electricals on the, on the listening in will get it. So you, you store it differently depending on how much you need to store and for how long. Mm. So for long duration, hydro is the way to go or sometimes uh, pressurized gas. Hmm. There's a really cool configuration that they've been trying in the Great Lakes in North America where they have these underwater um, balloons that when there's when there's renewables, they blow up the balloons underneath the Great Lakes. Huh. And when there's no renewables, the water pressure of the lakes squeezes the balloon back down oh. and runs the air backwards through a turbine. That's so, oh, wow. that that is cool? so smart. <laughs> that, that is cool? so cool. <laughs> That's crazy. So like a free compressor. Or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Like it's a free compressor, but wow. using the weight of the Great Lakes. <laughs> that is actually a really smart way to do things. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so yeah, interesting. The fish cool. must be like, what's going on there? <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work as well in seawater because just seawater is a miserable material. Yeah. Mm. It, it scales and it causes problems. Yeah. It's corrosive. But lake water, not so bad. Huh. Wow. So that, yeah. that's the big ones. And then there's the medium ones. Um, uh, you can store it as hydrogen. You can store it in, as electrical in batteries. And then you have these, when you have only to store for microseconds or milliseconds, you can have flywheels and all kinds of things. Mm. Uh, we actually wow. set up, um, we did this uh, for a mine in northern Canada called Raglan Nickel Mine. Uh, we set up that we got them off of diesel by setting up a couple of wind turbines. And then we had three levels of storage. We had, how do we do this now? We had storage in an electrolyzer to make hydrogen for, for long-term use. And then we had batteries for medium-term use. And then we had a flywheel for you know, seconds of, of ah, use, wow. something like that. So we had to have an array of three or four different storage methods all yeah. in the same, <laughs> I guess you call it a bus bar, simplistically, yeah. uh, so that um, so that you can cover all the different kinds of 
gaps mm, in storage. Wow. So that's just depending on how much energy is being used that's right, that that's day right. or that week or that and, month. Well, or, and then you, well, you yeah. get smart, right? Yeah, you yeah. get smart. You have weather forecasters and you have some AI cooked <laughs> in there yeah. that, that kind of manages your power based on the weather forecast. Yeah. And that's where this yeah. word digital twin is actually accurate. Mm. That's what you need it for. The digital <laughs> twin has to be able to predict the future and then model your process depending on what you anticipate. Yeah, wow. wow. That's fun. I imagine a lot of like simulation work and stuff goes into yeah, that as well yeah. before you actually build it, the thing, get to actually simulate it and see if it's actually efficient and will it work, that sort of thing, I guess. So that's, that's right. It's that's interesting so. to look at it that way because it creates a lot of jobs in that sense as mm. well, you know. It does. Yeah. Uh, digital twins are, re- when you get down to what they're really used for, it is fascinating. It is yeah. a pro- combination of process control, yeah, and AI simulation and data wow. learning. Yeah, yeah, wow. Out of these emerging shifts among, like, in the industry, what are some things that we can expect to shape the trends of the future? One will probably affect us more directly. Well, the energy storage will. Another one is recycling. Eh? Mm. The um, we're not too good at that in Australia. Like, mm. I know we put everything in the yellow bins. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you guys know, but I'm not sure that all goes. Necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah, especially when they do those big throwout yeah. days and they have all the stuff out in the front of the houses and the, the, like the yards yeah. and stuff like that. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of stuff there that could just be reused again. Like, I've done that myself actually. Just gone around, picked up a bunch of TVs on those throwout days, and, and they're fine. They work fine. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. look at places like India and China, for example, where they get a computer, they just pull every single little Everything apart component yeah, that's right. out of it like yeah. insane like the level that they go to is to just actually recycle something it's like almost 99 percent of it is just recycled yeah, yeah. i think there's, there's got to be a trend coming up that'll affect all of us that we think far more deeply about reuse reuse recycle right mm. the um we you know the materials we use the uh, we're already seeing laws about throwaway plastic like mm. uh cookie containers and mm. um and recyclable cups and that stuff mm, yeah, yeah. what's your opinion uh, on uh, the plastic straw situation <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mind plastic straws for use, but uh, and, and yeah. I, what I, I really don't like the uh, the, pl- the the wooden forks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, right. They, they they hold the taste of what you just previously <laughs> ate as well. It, it doesn't work. Uh, um, we might have to just live with yeah. those, but Maybe we I should figure so. out new ways to like clean the yeah. wood. Yeah, so that maybe it, that's like, what we need ways yeah. to treat it so yeah. it doesn't maybe like have edible ones or something like that maybe edible so <laughs> they actually taste <laughs> edible nice. calorie okay. yeah. <laughs> for, for sure there's lots of mileage to go right yeah. lots of innovation yeah. in, in the way we can organize as I said earlier cities our own lives to be participants in a circular economy and allow for things to be better uh, recycled mm. that's big that's that's mm. that's the half that we keep forgetting about. And in a way, there's an industry push to keep using virgin material because that's their business. Mm, um, yeah. What's what you know at an industry level, what we'll see is that industry will become interested in recycling as a as a different way to get scarce resources because we don't have enough mining material basically to, mm, to get that. Mm. I, guess, I guess they're not going to be too happy about something coming along and replacing their industry i guess is what you're trying yeah, to say right. so therefore to by creating yeah. something that they can replace that with and then convincing them to replace that with that, i guess it's right. sort of like the coal problem i guess in a sense like if you switch off the, all the coal i mean you got all these like this job vacuum essentially so like you've got to create something to replace it in a sense i think yeah. you probably know more about that than me well, but yeah they, they have to own their market so the copper producers will want to own the recycling as well and that mm. happens in steel and aluminum already but it'll happen in in more mm. um I think it's just the passage of time. Yeah. We've just got to let it just go, I guess. And and, and engineers thinking about it and making it better and Mm, finding smarter ways to to do it. Mm. Well, considering that, how do you propose Australia and the engineering industry here should focus towards you then? 
In Australia specifically? Yeah. Uh, well, look, we, we have these natural endowments of renewables and, um, and lots of mining, lots of good minerals. Uh, we need to exploit those to the betterment of humanity, mm. right? And all the things that you need to do to, to, to achieve that. Um, so my, my big theme is sustainable mining with no tailings, uh, number one. Number two is an export uh, energy economy based on the natural renewable resources we have here. That's a big deal. Um, and to participate in, right, when you export, how do you kind of participate in the recycling part yeah. of, of all that stuff, right? We got to be responsible for the scope three emissions of all the stuff that we export from the country. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's going off to these other countries, but are yeah. they actually yeah. going to recycle it yeah, efficiently? Right. Like, is there someone to enforce that or check that? Or mm, like, yeah. are there laws bounding that? It's it's such an interesting problem. And like, there's going to be so many interesting solutions to come yeah. out of it. Like, it's going to be exciting. I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've also mentioned previously also before that um, a balance of focus in social, environmental and financial value in infrastructure will soon emerge. Uh, as a young engineer or industry member, how can we strive for this balance? Yeah, that's a good one. So let's just talk about that that concept first. That That's a really big deal. It's historically, we've always focused on the financial value. And, you know, it's still today when you go the economics on projects, you're generally calculating an NPV. Uh, and, and, it, and it's interesting that, you know, over time, of course, community or social and environmental aspects of industry have become important, and, and rightly so. I, I don't think today anyone doesn't agree that that's not important. Mm, yeah. But it's interesting that we still try and use dollars as a proxy mm. for that. And it, you can't, it, it, we forget that it's a proxy. So we put a carbon tax or we put, we put um, you know, a, a value on how many jobs you've created, and we feel like we've covered those two dimensions, and then we're done. Mm. Now put those numbers in the business case and let's move on. But it's, it's not true. You know, the carbon tax is not necessarily converting an environmental value statement into a dollars that's e equivalent to an NPV. So yet you need to, first of all, you need to measure it differently. You need to measure what is community value or social value really. And it's not jobs. It's the things that make society stronger. It's things like uh, access to education, access to food and shelter, mm. access to um, low, uh, that low crime. Uh, good government. Those are the pillars that will make a society stable, strong, and happy beyond the individual jobs you might be able to get. That's mm, what's important. Yeah. So so you have to think about, you know, in, in the things that we engineer, be it a, a statue in a park, maybe that's more art, a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a bridge across the <laughs> <a> river, <laughs> or, um, or a train station, or a mine, or a factory. How is that going to, as we do that, how is it going to create social value in those dimensions? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, just, just having more jobs is, is nice, but it's transient because it's not eternal. It doesn't last, mm. last as long as yeah. that plant is there. Yeah, it's only finite, I guess. That's right. You know. And same yeah. with environment. With environment, what are we really trying to do when, we're, when we have not an environmental damage, but environmental value? What is it? It, it? It's probably something, I still haven't really well defined this, maybe some people listening have better ideas, but it's something about the vibrancy of the ecosystem, right? Of those, that whole cycle, the life cycle. Mm. If that is vibrant, then you're adding value. So through your actions of whatever industry you're, you're doing, whatever you're building, if those life cycles are more resilient or more vibrant, then that's adding value. And if you're wrecking them, then Right, they're, they're mm, destroying yeah. value. I, I guess what, what's always bothered me is that these environmental footprint calculations, the footprint should be able to go through zero, should be able to be negative. 
like the the mm. object isn't to stand to make your footprint as small as possible. Your object is to add value. Yeah, yeah. make the make the environment better as a concept. Yeah. Like a holistic approach yeah, of the whole right. system. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So um, I think it's really important that engineers. What we can do is understand how our engineering designs and our engineering I- ideas, how they measure up in those three dimensions, mm. and and don't just fall for simple proxies of well, the, my project's going to generate all these construction jobs, so that's good. Take, mm. There's lots of fertile ground in, um, in in looking at those boundaries and and really asking yourself of all the options I have here, which ones generate value in the financial, environmental, and social dimension mm. at the same time, wow. and not just one of them, right? A, a truly uh, sustainable company needs to generate value in all of those dimensions, or else you're not actually sustainable. Something's yeah. going to catch up to you eventually. So effectively, I guess if you could like dumb it down in a sense and just look at it holistically, I guess you could just say that all like jobs are almost like a stimulant, yeah. you know, sort of like this coffee only lasts yeah. a little while and it makes you happy. But like in the long run, realistically, it's not an yeah. effective solution, I guess. But Correct. whereas the environment has existed millions yeah. of years before us, <laughs> you know, so like we, sh- we should be focusing on a balance between those, I guess, if we're going to exist in that environment. Mm. Yeah, I, I call that social value creation. And that has a yeah. legacy that can be for beyond the life of the mine or the life of the factory. It's a big deal. So Jan, recognizing that you were once yourself a young engineer, um, shuffling your way through the industry, what choices or risks did you jump at that placed you in the position uh, that you are today? And which ones would you or wouldn't you recommend? Well, there's a lot of uh, (laughs) great (laughs) questions. Everyone's got war stories here, but I tell you, um, one thing that comes to mind, um, one of the most humbling experiences that you just have to do as a young engineer is is stand in front of the thing you designed when it's built and it's about to be turned on. <laughs> that is an awesome rush of adrenaline and fear at That's the same time. That's <laughs> I, I, I was lucky enough to get that early in my career, and it was fantastic. Um, you know, stuff yeah. that I toiled for four years designing. What was that first about, thing? That was a, a slag preparation plant and, and a leaching plant uh, in Quebec um, <laughs> to make titanium dioxide. And I had designed these fluid beds from scratch, and I'd piloted them myself. I'd designed them myself. Wow. You know, with teams, but I'd kind yeah. of, it was my design, it was my equipment. <laughs> and my goodness, the day I stood there and watched them get turned on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so uh, satisfying, uh, though. It is, it is. But yeah. but the moment before it's turned on, it's pretty yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah, that's what I just love about some of these engineering projects is that yeah. it takes so long to develop. But once it does come out, it just engages all of your six senses at once. Oh, that's yeah. why I love the aerospace industry so yeah. much. Because like you get to be there in front of this jet engine that engages all your senses, the smell, the sound, you get to hear it, you get to feel it. Like it's such a satisfying thing. You know? It is. It is. Oh. Every sense. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fantastic. So that's thing. That's one thing. The um, many people will tell you this, but you got to internalize it. It's really true. You got to say yes to anything new. Mm, Any time yeah. you get to work on something that's never been done before, you got to do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, the one other one that I don't hear mentioned enough, and I think it's super important, is at any given time in your career, be it for you're in school or you're midway through your career, or the end of your career, you got to have a T-shaped career profile. And what that means is you got to have a base, like the, the the vertical part of a T, that is deep in something. You got to be really good at something beyond what most people are, mm. and you have to have the top of the T, which is a broad understanding of what everyone else does. <laughs> that's adjacent oh, yeah, to what okay, you do. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's the best. And at any given time, whether you're in first year or, 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 or postgraduate or in, at work, 
you got to assess, all right, am I deep enough in one or two topics that I can really claim I'm going towards world class? Like mm. I'm one of a very few people that understands this stuff. And am I broad enough? And it, you recalibrate yourself over time. Sometimes you say, well, I got to get deeper at something or I gotta, I'm getting too myopic here. I got to focus on what are mm. all the adjacencies to my It's becoming specialty. an eye. Yeah, it's becoming an eye, <laughs> or it's becoming a line. I don't know, but, but you oh, got no. it, it's really important yeah. to have to take stock once in a while, and and and, and yeah. I've I've had to do that. I've had to recalibrate my myself many times to just look yeah. at. Mm. You know, I've, I'm really enjoying myself, but darn, I'm getting to be pretty specialized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I should go just look at what some other things are. Look at the top of the T. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm tea. quite the opposite. I'm more of an O. Like I'm just <laughs> like I'm like specializing in too many things and like just getting a, too much of a general thing. I think I need to get yeah. something that's specialized for Pick me. Pick a couple of things that you're yeah. really good at, be- because mm. what happens, especially when you're a young uh, engineer. You get known for something, right? If you're a generalist, you won't be known as the go-to person for anything. But you yeah. gotta, you gotta make yourself known as the go-to person for a topic. Yeah. It might be as simple as a kind of calculation that you know how to do well, hmm. or a kind of design, or a kind <laughs> of I don't know, a topic that you happen to have done as extracurricular course in microelectronics. Yeah, at least you're the go-to for that, <laughs> and then you'll build from that. Yeah, right? you'll build a reputation. People will get to know you and. By curiosity, you'll get pulled into more and more stuff. I think it's more of like an identification factor too. You know, yeah, like people yeah. look at you and instantly recognize, oh, that's your skill. Okay, we can chuck you in this area or we'll take you on board sort of thing. But also in a way, I think you need to balance that out. I mean, like you just mentioned the T factor. So Yeah, that's yeah. a big deal. And then maybe one other interesting one that, you know, kind of thinking about where do people struggle sometimes. You got to take stock of where you are on a learning curve once in a while, right? A learning mm. curve is kind of like an S. And you always want to be in the steep part of a learning curve. And as you know, once in a while, every couple of months, every year or two, you kind of look at yourself and you ask, am I, am I still learning here? Yeah. Mm. And if you're not learning, move on quickly. Go to the next level. Go, to the, go, to, yeah, go somewhere else. <laughs> well, I'm not saying switch jobs necessarily, but I'm yeah. saying ask for a new challenge. You don't want to plateau a flat line right. or anything the, like the, that. The way yeah. the whole you know, engineering is a bit like this, there's a lot of wisdom involved in engineering as well. As soon as you're doing things that, I, I say this all the time around here, as soon as you're doing something that you know how to do, you're wasting a chance for someone else to learn that. Go mm-hmm. train, show mm-hmm. someone else how that works, and mm-hmm. you do something you've never done before. Yeah. If all mm-hmm. of us are working on things we've never done before, then we're all happy. We're all enjoying ourselves. <laughs> yeah. learning I think stuff, that really right? comes down to like the essentials of leadership as well, yeah. you know, giving those people those other opportunities to also mm-hmm. thrive to get to where yeah. you are, you know, That's in a right. sense. Yeah. Like it, right. It's a really good feeling that way because then everyone gets you know, the same starting point and these right. like, same opportunities, which is, I think, which is really great moving into mm. like companies and stuff like that because you can see that starting to develop more and more. That's right. Yeah. And then no one gets bored. Yeah, mm, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah effectively, yeah. yeah. Um, initially, what intrigued you when it comes to like pursuing engineering and the degree in general? Like what was the driving factor in that? Yeah, you know, it's in, everyone's got a different story of how they ended up there. I, I, I originally was going to be a scientist. I liked science. I liked understanding why things are the way they are. Then one summer in university, I think it was, I, I got a job at a soap factory. And it, ostensibly my job was to help them with QA, QC in their, in their lab and, you know, measure stuff, science stuff. But <laughs> I, I got myself drawn to all the troubleshooting and all the fixing things and making things mm, better yeah. in the That's factory. Addictive, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, it really is. And it was kind of that summer when I really realized I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person that wants to make things better and have an impact. Mm. And <laughs> understanding why things are the way they are is only half of it. It's, yeah. it's capitalizing uh, on that to then in, engineer something even better than it's been before. Yeah. Soap factory. That's interesting. It was kind of fun. It was kind yeah. of a small scale um, business um, 
run out of a big warehouse. They they had contracts to sell cleaning products to schools and, and you know, government yeah. buildings. And um, I got myself tinkering and I started, because I understood enough chemistry to be dangerous, so I started inventing. <laughs> I, I went to talk to their clients and I asked them, so what exactly are you cleaning with these things? And tell me about it. Is it grease? Is it yeah. dust? Is it whatever it is? And I went back and I did some homework and figured out, well, what are the right kinds of surfactants and polymers that would actually clean that kind of a problem better mm. that's yeah. the thing right it's understanding like what is actually this thing going to do i yeah. think it's just asking those right questions will yeah. set you on that track and make you ask the question you know perform at 100 percent capacity effectively you mm. know if you know what it's going to be used for and what the idea of it is behind it i guess that's what gets you yeah in the end, there's you know? another interesting yeah. story from there um at one point uh someone from the shipyards i grew up in a town called halifax in canada someone from the shipyards came down and said by mistake, the mechanics ran diesel fuel through our, our water lines in the ship. How do I, cl- I don't want to take all the piping out. I want, I want to, how do I clean <laughs> the diesel out of these lines? So I went back to the lab and did some homework and kind of synthesized um, a, a process of, uh, of, of different stages of flushing they should do that should absorb the diesel in, you know, into, into surfactants and flush it out. And mm. I'll be darned. They followed my pro- procedure and the water pipes were clean again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. That's engineering. That would have been so satisfying. Uh, that just like, makes yeah. me recognize like there must be someone out there whose job it is for to be a toilet engineer yeah. and, and flush <laughs> things through and find the effectiveness of it. it. You just don't realize, do you, until you think about yeah. it more. Like. So that's a small summer job, right? Just, uh, just an engineering student for, for fun. But you, yeah. know, you learn stuff from those little mm. examples that you, know, you carry yeah. for life. Yeah, being an essential engineer, you know, fixing other people's yeah. problems. Yeah, that's, you know. right. that's right. Actually, on that, what approach would you take differently if you started again? Well, I try and live my life with no regrets. So I wouldn't say I have any regrets. What would I do differently? I think I would do most of it exactly the same. Would you focus on anything else differently? Or? I, you know what? Maybe I would have kept more track of... I remember doing... I went to university long before you guys did. Uh, at the time, neural nets and AI were just coming out. I would have probably stayed closer to that. That mm. is really cool stuff that uh, we could have done a lot more with that. The um, I also, early on, I had a chance to, um, um, to go to JPL to do a PhD. That would have been interesting. I kind of wonder if that wouldn't have been fun mm. uh, to, do, to do rocket science and rocket engineering. Yeah, right. Uh, but in the end, I thought, ah, I'm going to go work. That's kind of fun, too. And that, that's <laughs> been really, that's been fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're either up in the air or underneath the ground. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Um, on this, uh, recognizing that your position is in such a dynamic engineering field, uh, such as mining, so what would you say has been your favorite opportunity um, this far? Could it be projects or overseas oh, yeah. placements or even skill development, anywhere from between when you're at uni till now? Mm, uh, look, there's, that's lots of cool stuff. Um, so, some, first of all, some interesting examples that are kind of almost extracurricular. Um, one thing we're working on now, which is really interesting, we're working on a mosquito breeding facility. So so where does this come from? The World Mosquito um, Program, it's called. These guys at Monash University have developed a bacteria that grows inside mosquitoes that eats malaria virus. Wow. And we're actually, so we're with them, we're developing commercial scale facilities to be built in Colombia, Brazil, Indonesia, to um, breed mosquitoes with this particular bacteria in their belly so that when you release them into the wild, that bacteria will be spread into the native mosquito population. That's crazy. And eradicate malaria. 
Yeah. Wow. So wow. interesting. So, I mean, our job is designing the facilities. So these have to be, you know, biological hazard level five, five alarms facilities with really good HVAC, really good containment because mm. uh, it's biological stuff. But it's interesting. The, these wow. guys, they've already proven. They've eradicated um, dengue fever from Townsville from that same process. Seriously. That wow. isn't well known, but that's these guys, the World Mosquito Program. And now we just got connected to them, and you know the engineers here love it. They get to work yeah. on interesting. It's charity work, but it's for an impact, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Hitting malaria in That's a different massive. way, and yeah. the mosquitoes keep living, right? You don't it, mm. other other programs destroy the mosquitoes. Uh. We just have the mosquitoes with different bugs in their belly, so that they don't. They're the one type of people that actually like mosquitoes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's interesting because it's a it's not usually what most engineering is helping with. Like a mm. lot of engineering is based around like physical stuff, but this is yeah. very uh, you know say, helping the world in a different way. If that makes oh, sense. Oh, it's it's so interesting. I've been down to Monash to visit some of the the, the science end of this project, mm. uh, and the people studying you know how you breed mosquitoes, how they grow, how their genetics work is fascinating in mm. yeah. biological engineering. I guess yeah. Uh, another wow. fun one is these. Uh, seaweed programs. We've been working with the Climate Foundation on uh, seaweed farms uh, off the coast here. And some interesting things you piece together. The um, First of all, these guys have proven that if you irrigate coral reefs with colder water from deeper in the ocean, you can regenerate coral. That's wow. a big deal. That's a big that's deal. Massive. That's massive. Especially for Queensland. For the Great Barrier far Reef. For the yeah, Great wow. Barrier Reef. Yeah. So that's kind of been proven, and they're already they're working. We're helping them a little bit and and figuring out how to do that on a massive scale. But there's cool en- engineering challenges in there. You got to figure out how to run these pumps that will pump cold water from deep to you know into the mm-hmm. coral reefs from wave power. So you need some kind oh. of a wave power pump. There you go. You could even do those big balloon things again. That something like that. Something, something like that, you that. know. It's, imagine the ocean, the capacity that it has to squeeze something and but, pump it up. But it's got to survive in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tricky, <laughs> salt yeah true. Um, and then yeah. we also, we, we're trying to design these hectare size um, platforms that you can you can suspend in the ocean, in the open ocean that you can grow seaweed on. We were just doing <laughs> this. So we entered a competition a few months ago and this was that was our proposition. It was, mm. uh, we were talking about carbon capture techniques yep. and we're talking about how important it is for these yep. platforms to exist. Well, how did we propose? We yeah. proposed um, carbon capture concrete beds, just yep. like you said, to grow uh, seaweed on. And then using that seaweed to like feeding it to like cattle and stuff because it actually reduces their methane production yes. by like a stupid it amount. It's crazy, yeah. And yes. especially for Australia, that's it's such a so big thing. Where one of our main exports is beef. You know, yeah. it's like wow, that changes everything. That's right. Like, that changes why don't the we scope just do three. This, why don't yeah. we just do this right now? Like it's like <laughs> we were sitting there like, why aren't you doing this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. And when yeah. when you do that feed, there's actually a business case. It's suddenly yeah. kind of it's makes a new sense. industry. It's a mm. New industry, and you can yeah. eat seaweed too. The, the problem is making these platforms seaworthy when mm. at the scale you have to be. So we've done a couple of designs for that. We're still not super comfortable. Mm. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of wave action and there's a lot of force. The seaweed's a big deal. So yeah, that's right. that's some of the fun ones. Some other yeah. interesting things you get to do. You get to travel the world, of course. Engineering's a great yeah. one for people that are world curious. Mm. Uh, you get to see unusual things. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough because I've stuck I've been stuck with one company all my career. Mm. So I've had the chance to work everywhere in the world and do everything we do. And you come across things. You know, you have a chance. I've I've I've, I've been in standing in farmers' fields in Myanmar talking to people about <laughs> how they feel about you know their government and mining. <laughs> mm. uh, been in Ivory Coast in a, during a coup. 
Wow. Um, for a project, um, you know, developed a really interesting project we, I worked on in northern Canada, building ice roads up to right. a, a new mine we had to build in, in terrible geological conditions. Mm. I learned a lot about ice roads that uh, that year. Yeah. Is it sort of like uh, off that show? What is it? The Canadian Ice Road truckers? truckers. Ice Road Truckers, yeah. Well, it's harder than that. Those guys drive <laughs> yeah. around in Alaska, which is the ground that's already stable. This was yeah. ice roads we had to build in Swampland. Oh. And uh-huh. um, things you don't think about. You have to filter that water you're going to build your ice road up from. Yeah, right. Because any amount of, of, of colored material in that ice will absorb solar radiation and heat it. And make holes in your ice. Oh, right. that wow. makes sense. Even so it's like a conductor it's, in a yeah, sense. So yeah. Such yeah. a small thing like that. Small little wow. pebble of rock or piece of bark or a leaf stuck in your ice. Even when it's minus 20 degrees, the sun will heat that up and make a little hole. What? Yeah, yeah. incredible. Wow. And it, that's one thing I really like about engineering because there's, it makes you think about all the little things yeah. that yeah. most people don't notice. Yeah. And when you take all those things into consideration, it can make or break a project. Yeah, yeah. So little, like little practical things that mm. engineers would realize that maybe not everyone does. And so some other things that are just mind-blowing is when you get to build something that's never been built before. I've, uh, I've had a couple of chances to do that, to just you know develop a new process completely for making mm. things never been done before and um and uh, and see it stand there and experience that humility and thrill of <laughs> watching <laughs> yeah yeah watching we really just don't have enough time on earth do we no like realistically there's just so much stuff to do and so many cool things to do we just yeah. need more time yeah, on earth yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. so it's so interesting i just really wish we had more time mm. <laughs> um well acknowledging that every well not every engineer succeeds without failures what sort of hoops in particular have you had to jump through that have really built you up and help you get where you are today yeah you know that that kind of that kind of things i've figured out over time it, it's none of it's technical eh? this is not about technical things um there's heaps of ability to learn technical stuff it's all it's all about attitude and energy and stuff like i'm a generally positive guy and most people try and be or are um and, and failures are learning experiences of course uh, and mm, opportunities. Yeah. So uh, I've trained myself never to be afraid of failure. Just make sure that it's risk managed, right? That yeah. Just do it a little bit. <laughs> Let it go and fail quickly. You guys know that. That's yeah. pretty yeah. common knowledge these days. Yeah. The, um, you know, working in teams is big. What's happened? You know, all of the single discipline problems have been solved or are at 90% already. You're not going to find many pure mechanical or geotech or mm. chemical problems but there's there's all kinds of opportunity interfaces and that's why what what i try the way i try and orient it and the way we think about it here at hatch is is you, you focus on what's the challenge and then you bring in all the disciplines you need to sort that challenge mm. and you'll find that nothing is necessarily only a mechanical problem it's everybody you need multiple lenses on it so the real skill you need is teamwork is, is an ability to be inclusive and just your instinct can't be that if I got a problem, you're going to fill a room full of mechanical engineers to look at it. Mm. You need to make sure you got diversity. You got to have, you know, even beyond engineers, having. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't imagine that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you need to have lots of people looking at things, and and if you create an, in, you have to learn to do this. Yeah. We're not taught that in school, but you have to learn to create an inclusive environment where all those different voices are heard. Yeah. Mm. And then you find amazing things. Yeah. I've seen that happen so many times. I love that so much. Just yeah. incorporating every single little voice, every single little yeah. opinion really does matter. 
and I think it really contributes to a project. I mean, that really leeches off of the past 30 years that were developed in, that is communication. I think that's one of the biggest things that has just popped out of these past, like, 50, 30 years, and I think we should just advance that even further. And I think we are, like, all these teams just coming together now. Like, Mm. we're in an age where we're more connected than ever. It doesn't, we don't have to send pigeons over anymore, (laughs) but, you know, like, we don't have to wait for letters to come back and forth. It's simple as just texting someone now, and I think that's something really great that's coming out of the engineering industry is just this collaboration, communication, like, we're learning how to do that yeah. and it's awesome it's so much fun oh, it's awesome mm-hmm. man. yeah um so on that note anyway do you have any advice for students considering engineering or anyone still in university um and any advice for maybe any engineers listening or graduates or people mm-hmm. working in the industry such as yourself yeah. right so let's start at people that are even thinking about it i tell you my view this is the most exciting time to be an engineer that we've seen in decades or generations hmm. right this is this maybe happened a little bit in the 70s maybe post-war, but it's happening again now. There are so many new problems that no one has ever thought about before. Mm. All this climate stuff is completely new. There is no, you know, we're building up some knowledge now, but there's new problems and there's new toys. Mm. There's new technologies that didn't exist before. Mm, We didn't have those tools before. So right now is such an exciting time to be an engineer. It's, um, it's, uh, I I can't think of a better age or era uh, to be in it. And, and there's so much blue sky out there. There's so many new things that, um, that, that need new approaches. Mm. So that's first of all. So I absolutely advocate to everyone that will listen. When I go to high schools and stuff, I advocate mm-hmm. being an engineer. It's yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it can take you so many places. Being an engineer is just the, mm-hmm. you know, the one aspect. You can yeah. branch off into so many different fields with that. Yeah, you bet. It's, um, in fact, I wish more of our politicians and business leaders were engineers. <laughs> just that changing the mindset? Really oh, it would really help. Mm. Oh, it really would. Oh, it would. Uh, the next thing is, um, so that's, first of all, get into engineering. Then once you're there, um, it's, you know, to, to conquer these modern wicked problems, they're called wicked, meaning that they're multidimensional, not easy. The, you, need, you need to really understand fundamentals. You can't be a cut and paste type or a, just copy and paste or just look up the formula and apply it blindly. You have to understand deeply what we're doing. Hmm. That's where all the innovation comes from. Um, so as you're going through your courses in, in, in university, you know, just avoid that that temptation to just push through and memorize it and move on because mm. you need those fundamentals so to come back. In the moment, in the moment that yeah, I have yeah. it is. But, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, people people say you'll never use it again. It's not true. You will. Yeah. yeah. Everything I learned in university, I have used in some way. Yeah, right. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> somehow. Yeah, because it's that, it's that mindset you start to develop when you're in university, yeah. especially some of the courses you take, and you're like, is this really necessary? And it's chewing up a whole lot of my time, but I'm sure, like, like speaking to people like you, you start to realize that it actually is extremely It comes back on you. It does come yeah. back. Uh, oh, yeah. I should have been paying attention in that <laughs> <Yeah>. class. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not only second best, it's third best to be able to Google it because that's yeah. just not adequate to have yeah. a deep understanding. Yeah, right. after a while, you build up a mental model yeah. In your in your mind, you can un, you can connect dots better. Yeah. Mm. You can't do that if you're Googling the answers to everything. You'll never be able to build the yeah. mental yeah. understanding. I think you're offending a lot of medical people out there who <laughs> just like in their jobs go, oh, just Google it real quick. <laughs> Dr. Google says. In the moment, in the bar, it's okay to Google it to find the answer. Right <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then um, maybe one other one other interesting bit is um, kind of as you as you enter the workforce is is to Think deeply about the obligation of an engineer and the role an engineer has in society. Um, in Quebec, in Canada, we have this iron ring business. I don't know if you guys noticed. I have an iron mm, ring yeah. on my right pinky. 
That that iron, in in theory, comes from oh. a bridge that collapsed in Quebec because the engineering was bad. And oh. yeah. and they, they, they recovered that steel and they made it into rings. And every wow. gra- engineering graduate gets one of those rings. As a reminder. <laughs> yeah, as a reminder. <laughs> I think I was listening happens. to something about this, actually. That's and then every so time, if you're right-handed, you write. And I think your ring is always at, touching your work. On your signing finger. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking wow. at it as you're signing. But yeah. that's, it, you know, it, 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 the, the concept extends to all engineers in the world. It's, and I, I hold it at heart. We, we have an obligation to serve society mm. as engineers, and we have to take that very, very seriously. Uh, design safe things, design things that make the world better, uh, have a positive impact uh, on the world. Um, that's our obligation. So in all the jobs we take, wherever it is, is technical people, or even if we're not doing a technical job, we have to bring our technical selves to that job mm. and advocate for what's right. Hmm. You know, don't let don't let uh, opinioneering get in the way of of good solid foundational <laughs> opinioneering engineering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's maybe the three bits there. Mm, yeah. yeah. Hmm. How do you stay focused, and what are your strategies to maintain a healthy work work life balance? And what recommendations do you have to people and like? tell other people who are struggling with this issue like it's quite a deep question i know uh, <laughs> lots of i'll just pick parts of that that want to answer yeah. how do you stay focused i don't know how you do that <laughs> but there, there, there is good ways to declutter there's good ways to declutter the the most therapeutic thing it, there was a, there was an engineer one of my mentors long ago that told me this uh, at a moment of my panicking it, was, it, it is so therapeutic to make a list a simple list Mm. That that solves so many um, problems for you mentally. A simple process, when you're feeling kind of unsure what's happening, just try and write down for yourself what's the problem, what are the possible solutions, and make that list longer than one. Make it multiple, <laughs> and then choose of those what's the best option. <laughs> or a combination. Simple. Yeah, and you get the satisfaction of putting that big yeah. green big tick. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Done so, it. So simple, but so profound and psychologically soothing. Yeah, mm. oh, it is so much. It's, um, and you, you know it, when things get kind of crazy, you make a list of the, these are the 10 things I got to do, then strike them off. It feels great. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. So don't ever underestimate, underestimate that. And workplaces it have to be fun. You have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. If you're not enjoying it, don't do it. Uh, life's too short for that. And, and yeah. that's, that's, that's life advice. Anyone will give you that. It's, yeah. It's yeah. cheap, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any good books you recommend? Anything that you've read? Oh, you know, um, at the moment, I'm really enjoying anthropology type books. Like Jared Diamond, you guys come across that? No. Fascinating no, stuff. Bad. Kind of explaining why we are the way we are and what makes societies great and how they develop and mm. where technology comes from in societies. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. So I think to be a proper engineer, you really have to have like a psychological view on the world and what actually makes people think mm. the way they do. Because if you've got this amazing idea, it's one thing just coming up with it. It's another thing also proposing it to somebody. And how do you do that on an efficient level? You know, you got to understand yeah. that person psychologically and you got to understand your audience psychologically, mm. which is, I think, yeah. Yeah. what engineers are trying to do with politicians at the moment. Like you just mentioned, yeah. you know, you got these amazing yeah. ideas. And it's like, guys, come on. It's just convincing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Big deal. Um, what are some important skills uh, mm. regarding leadership and communication mm. that you find to be beneficial uh, when working within your team, recognizing that you're also like a leader of a team and in this yeah. workspace, these people here, you know, what you say basically goes. But so how do you convince those people that what you're saying is the right thing? And yeah. also, how do you get them to work in with you effectively? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, just generally, even before we think about engineering, because leadership in engineering is a bit special. But mm-hmm. first, first of all, at the higher level, attitude and energy are so important. 
yeah. and mm. leadership. Um, you know, you can make a, we do this in, in Hatch here, we make it four quadrant blocks, high energy, low energy, good attitude, bad attitude. <laughs> and in the, in the bad attitude, low energy box is a cynic, right? Mm. And in the top right quadrant, someone with good energy and a good attitude is a leader. <laughs> and you got to yeah. just think through, you know, you can, yeah. if you have low energy, but a good attitude, you're kind of a spectator. Yeah. Mm. Right. And um, you, you got to kind of think, how do I organize my myself to be in that leader box, be a positive attitude and add energy to things. When you, when you can find yourself there, you find leadership is normal. People want to follow and listen to work with people that are in that leader box. Mm. Yeah. Good energy, good attitude. Yeah. People don't enjoy working with cynics and victims and you yeah. know, people mm, that are people yeah. that are just negative. Be positive. Yeah. So so that's the, the general one. I, I do find that, you know, engineers are naturally skeptical, cynical people. <laughs> mm. So um, being a leader yeah. in an engineering organization, you do have to know what you're talking about. Generic mm. managers don't often succeed in our world. Mm. Yeah. Um, you have to have been there, done that, and you have to pretty much be able to do most jobs yourself, or at least know how you'd approach it. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So um, that's where that T is important. That's why that's important. Approach. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, uh, the very few people will take you seriously if they can smell that you don't know anything about engineering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as people are building their engineering careers, first make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you've been there, done that, and then managing other engineers is is much easier because you're standing, you're starting from a point of credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, credibility matters in our world. It's amazing yeah. in stock marketing and stockbrokers. It seems like you don't need a lot of experience to do that, but <laughs> yeah. in, in our world, you do. Yeah, it's because we do very serious things. We. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it changes every aspect of our society, essentially. Mm, I mean, engineering right. is at the heart of it all, so you want to make sure it's correct. Yeah. Mm, the very, very sure. start of the yeah. route, I guess. Yeah. So, so how could people maintain those communication skills or develop those skills, do you think? Because like recognizing, like you yeah. just mentioned, engineers can sometimes be a bit cynical yeah. and, and, yeah. In, in a way or in a sense. Yeah, so. well, that's that starts with knowing yourself, believe it or not, recognizing yeah. what your own triggers are, uh, recognizing, um, you know, when when you get nervous or when you get you know, hot tempered. Mm. Why is that? And then <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing, but simple things like just taking a deep breath once in a while <laughs> helps. A bit of meditation here. Yeah. And just, yeah. just not reacting instantly, but <laughs> allowing yourself to count to five. The things we were taught as school children. <laughs> yeah. Actually yeah. work. <laughs> you got to apply that total yeah. attitude. It, it starts with self. And yeah. then, and I mean, this is, this is well-worn path that psychoanalysts would understand, but engineers need to understand this too. That once you understand yourself and your own triggers and you're comfortable with that, then being, being able to empathize, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes is pretty darn important as well. Oh yeah, mm. oh, it really right? is, yeah. Um, if you can't do that, you're also gonna be in a pretty myopic one-way discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you've got those two down, then you're, and all you're looking for is, okay, so what are the principles of how we're gonna work together to get somewhere? Mm. It's simple yeah. to say that, it's hard to practice that. Mm. So it's work on it, right? Mm. So yeah, just work on it. It's yeah. taken me a while, I'm just getting there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> slightly, but surely, yeah. yeah. Um, on an end note, if you could solve one major problem in the engineering world, that you have noticed within this specific industry or any mm. industry, what what would that be and how would you solve it, do you think? You might have noticed through this discussion I've struggled with just one. 
<laughs> yeah. of anything. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple of things that's, I think are kind right. of interesting. <laughs> the, um, first of all, you know what I think would be a breakthrough that would help lots of different things is better tunneling. Actually, it's a more of a mechanical problem and geotech problem maybe. But so much mining, city infrastructure, transport would be better if we could do tunneling cheaper, faster, mm. better. Um, oh, really? Yeah, we're, we're not there yet. We have some pretty cool tunnel boring machines. We have, but there's so much uncertainty. It's still as much black art as it is engineering and science, how you do that. By the way, if you ever get a chance to visit a tunnel boring machine, take it. It is unbelievable. Oh, really? Oh, awesome oh. stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The forces involved and the way they move. They're a bit scary looking, aren't they? Oh, it's yeah. these big, massive machines, all these drill bits yeah. on the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All these massive tunnels. Like, yeah. Oof. Like, how much better yeah. are the cities in Australia because we have tunnels? Yeah, right? yeah. It, totally. it, takes oh. the, it takes the cars off the oh, streets. Especially Sydney, that tunnel underneath the bridge mm, and everything like that. that. That's right. How much better? Yeah. You know, we you need better tunnels for yeah. hydropower. We need better tunnels for transport, for more efficient mining. Mm. It's, it's way too expensive. Mm. So I, I think if we had better tunneling technology, we could that be go a little long way. That's number one. Number two, I, I think there's huge gains that we can do here in Australia on sustainable mining, uh, especially, you know, we need to kind of take over mining from the mining people or the mining people. We, we, had, we had to think of mining happening when you first break the rocks and how do you get those atoms that you like out of the mine without moving all the rock you don't need. Mm. That is, yeah. there's so much technology complex in that. Complex problem, hey. Oh, it's complex, oh, but yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So those are two that I think if you could do those, you're solving a lot of world challenges in a, one foul swoop. Mm. Uh, the, the other one, not even technical, one thing I've noticed that would be really cool is if we could get more engineers involved in business and government management mm. and leadership. Yeah, we, right. we don't have enough... We don't have enough technically minded, data-driven people in the policy rooms mm. and making strategy decisions. We have people that don't understand the basis of the engineering mm. making calls, and it isn't always right. Mm. I would really, really like to see engineers be a far more prominent in society and and take a far more active role in driving where we're going in society. I, mm. I think that's big. How do you and propose that could potentially happen do you have any anything you've thought of or yeah well we need to inspire engineers to be interested in the communities they're in and yeah. society and in government yeah uh, i'm not sure if it's true today but i remember when i was in university learning a statistic that in japan for every one lawyer there's 10 engineers and in the u.s for every one engineer there's 10 lawyers oh wow there yeah you go. yeah <laughs> how different is a society yeah, yeah. wow when there's more lawyers than engineers or more engineers than yeah. lawyers. It's interesting. It's, it's showing is that either for money or is that actual interest? It's, 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 it's an interesting one. One group argues a lot yeah. more than the other, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, and so taking an interest, and I think it'd be fantastic to have more engineering-minded mm. people in government making policy about stuff. And I think so. The, the decisions we make around you know, making the country sustainable, reducing CO2, Mm. Um, climate resilience should be those are technical challenges mm. yeah we need technical people in the policy room at the time they make they think about that with that holistic approach yeah and like yeah, yeah i think so i mm. think so do we have an engineering minister i'm not too familiar with it i know no. we have like the defense ministers and all those other sort of ministers but no. is there one for no. engineering no no we have a chief scientist right oh uh, okay. Uh, it was Alan Finkel. I forget the name of the person that's taken over now. We have a minister for industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and those, uh, you know, uh, yeah. 
politicians are the elected person, and then they have a group of people that sit in the government offices mm. that have, you know, more permanent mm. jobs there that think through the policy. Those people, it'd be great to have a good representation of engineers. Would be. Mm. Yeah. In that group as well. Imagine if the prime minister was an engineer. Yeah, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting. Actually, so. one more thing. What are some um, opportunities that students can have in Hatch? Yeah, well, um, yeah, very directly. We, we take in a, a lot of students every, every summer uh, for internships, of course. Uh, that's the best way. We're, we're trying our best to get more involved the other way in the universities. So I'd love it if more of our people uh, gave guest lectures, etc. I'm very big on that. Uh, we have to give back to universities as much as we need to create opportunities for university people to come in with us. Uh, and, you know, we come talk to us. Uh, they'll, they'll, there's hatch people floating around everywhere. It's, you'll find they're all friendly people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jan, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thanks yeah, for this is really interesting. Thanks for spinning a yarn with us. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, thanks for your time. I'm sure a lot of people will really gain something from this episode. So good. I feel like you provided some really good insight into what people typically don't know about the engineering industry as such and i think it really helps having people like yourself advocating for futuristic but sort of yet contemporary solutions to engineering problems but i'm sure there's so much work to be done in the mining sector which is really only just a portion of the engineering industry on a whole i guess lots to do at the, certainly at the moment lots to do yeah yeah well extremely well, interesting thanks so much once thank again you very much yeah. it's been a pleasure meeting you guys a really fun discussion thanks for that awesome to you thanks for that all right and with all that said, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to share this with your mates or colleagues who also might benefit from these discussions as well. And uh, yeah, if you can, just leave an honest review or rating on your preferred podcast platform. So with all that said, you've been listening to the Engineering Buzzcast with your hosts, Jacob Primus and Daniel Hardy. And until next time, see you in the next episode. See you in the next episode. See ya. The top job is that of the engineer. This requires a great amount of ability and training in mathematics. And you should have some courses. Uh...